Triathlon Show 304. Up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Adil Tveiten. Adil is the head coach and sports director of the Norwegian Triathlon Federation. If you followed the Olympics in Tokyo I, this year, we had Christian Blumenfeld take home the gold medal in the men's individual event. And Christian has been coached by Adil for 11 years. So we discussed with Adil the preparation and training leading into the Olympics for Christian and for his fellow Norwegian athletes, Gustav Eden, Kasper Stornes and Lotte Miller, who all finished in very respectable positions of 8th, 11th and 24th. We go into a lot of specifics regarding training and tapering and heat preparation and so on but if you want to hear more about the general Norwegian training strategy as we talk about a little bit or allude to in the episode I have done a couple of episodes with Adil before episodes 154 and 223 where we go into where we go in depth on that general training approach that they have so do check those out as well as the interview I did with uh, Olav Alexander Bu I can't remember the episode number but I'll include the link in the show notes for that so you can check that out as well and that will give you a lot of information about the, the general training philosophy of Adild and the Norwegian team. But before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors Roka. Roka produces exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits, dry suits, swim skins, goggles, performance sunglasses as well as prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses. If you want to go faster in the water or on the bike, a Roka wetsuit or tri-suit might be for you. Or if you just want to have a more comfortable, functional and stylish pair of eyeglasses, then look to their range of eyeglasses, like the Rory eyeglasses, for example, that I use. Today, I want to highlight a Roka product that is the Roka Sim Pro 2 buoyancy shorts that you can use in the pool to simulate a wetsuit-like body position without actually wearing your wetsuit and risk overheating. A lot of people use a pool boy, of course, to help with their body position, but using Roka's buoyancy shorts is a lot better than using a pool boy because it still lets you kick, rotate, and turn naturally, which a pool boy doesn't. Visit roka.com forward slash TTS for 20% off your entire Roka order. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim training tool that you can use at home, allowing you to improve your technique, work on your power and stamina, and save time and stay consistent. Consistency is super important, but sometimes it is tough to find the time to get to the pool. So to have a time-efficient option for complementing your pool and open water swimming at home is invaluable, and the Senate Swim Trainer provides that. In addition, you can use it for specific purposes like doing swim, bike, brick workouts, and to work on perfect core activation and streamline with the help of the built-in instability element uh, that the swim bench has. Also, the Senate Swim Trainer does not take up a lot of space and it is very affordable, even more so with the 20% discount code that you can get on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Arild Tveiten. Welcome back to that triathlon show, Arild. How are you doing? Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing great and uh, thank you for having me again. Uh, it's a uh, I think it's, a, it's a, the third time I'm with you. 
Yeah, it is the third time. Uh, I've talked to a couple of people already that I am uh, told them that I'm interviewing you and they are all very excited to hear you again because they really enjoyed the previous interviews. So uh, so I think, and I think that's something that goes for the entire listener base. Uh, they have been really popular episodes. So let's just start by discussing the Olympics a little bit. You are coming from, well, let, let tell me, are you very happy with how the Olympics went overall for your US team? Uh- of course, uh, we are really happy when we get a gold medal because that is uh, something we have been uh, working hard for to try to achieve the last uh, since I started my position and working also with Christian uh, 11 years ago. So, of course, uh, we are really happy with that. But but in a re- retro perspective, when we uh, yeah, I know going some weeks after the Olympics, we are focused much more on the athletes who maybe not achieved their goals because in the Olympics you have a lot of most athletes actually don't succeed and are of course very disappointed um, and now I'm of course you are really really happy for the gold medal really happy for Christian and he deserved it but now you're paying more attention to the boys and of course a lot at least who didn't achieve the dream so 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 yeah but in overall we are happy but uh, now it's more thinking about what could been done differently or better with the other athletes Mm, yeah i was just looking at the the world rankings and uh, still uh, all of your team members beat their world ranking but i know that of course the goal was different but for example gustav was six and his world ranking was i think 10th or something and uh, uh, kasper was 11th with a world ranking of um i can't remember but Uh, lower than 11 yeah 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 okay based on that and um uh, the team effort uh, with uh, Gustav was eight and Casper uh, was eleven is of course really good, uh, but we know that they didn't have their uh, best day ever, uh, mm-hmm. and of course they want to have that. Uh, uh, but but that they did good races. They were up there uh, quite a long time. You, you, they were a big factor in the race. Uh, they were uh, on. Almost uh, at the front when uh, after the bike and started to run. So yeah, we, we were the major factor and the big players uh, on the men's field. So that is good. Um, for the women's team, it was really bad for for Lotte that we were not able to get her in the swimming shape that she wanted to do, and she was also a little bit as a bad placed on the pontoon. Uh, because of the, the weather condition, it seems that that part of the platoon she placed herself was not that good um, position based on uh, the weather. Uh, it was that day because it was really bad weather at night and in morning. So she, in many ways, didn't have the... Uh, the swimming was not good. And um, then we struggled quite way off on the front. And it's difficult to come back again. And, and you also see on the women's... Uh, races was a lot of big difference that you know yeah, okay you have seen it in a girls race earlier but this time it was even bigger than normal yeah mm, yeah well uh you said that you have been working for this gold medal for 11 years uh since you started working with christian uh if we so so in a way that uh, all of those 11 years have been leading up to to this moment uh, but when would you say that you started to prepare really specifically for 
Tokyo, if was there anything that changed at some point when you got really 100% focused on the games and nothing else? Uh, yes, uh, of course. Uh, in many ways, I could say that after the, the Rio Olympics, uh, we say just the day after that, okay, we just need to start working for the next Olympics and we were really motivated for that. Uh, so, so the process started there. Uh, but when we are in more in details, you know that uh, the Tokyo Olympics was, uh, we knew quite early that it was a little bit different because we knew heat would be a factor. Um, and the, the first time we started doing preparation for the heat and tried to look into the data to prepare for, for that condition, that was, I, I would say that, let's say that it started with the first heat camp we had in Thailand in the beginning of 2018. So we were there almost, uh, two and a half years before the race was supposed to happen. But in the end, we had a little bit more time. But uh, from that time, it, all we did in most training camp had a focus on what we also needed to do to perform in the Olympics, especially based on uh, heat preparation, heat camps. So, so we, in many ways, had a period of heat training and uh, training where we to stretch your body, body at the heat. Um, from that time, and we did that all year yeah. round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's re- that's really interesting. And uh, in during this year of twenty twenty one, what we saw early in the year or in the during spring when the WTCS series started uh, in uh, Yokohama, and uh, Christian uh, was on great form in a lot of the early races, uh, WTCS and World Cup races, and. Uh, uh, and then he well, raced a lot, many weeks uh, consecutively. And then there was a period when he and most of the other Norwegians, I think, did not race. So so you were training and preparing for the games. Can you discuss a little bit around that periodization of how you distributed this year uh, between race periods and training periods? Yeah. Um, in overall, um, uh, when we started 2021, uh, it was still challenging and still is a challenging year, year compared to the corona situation. So, um, so some of the things were changing during uh, the year, but we actually said when we are going to the first uh, major training camp in January in Portugal, in Rio Mayor, that it is a big chance that the athletes will not be able to get home before the Olympics. So, um, so we had actually a, a really good block of training there. Uh, that was, of course, at sea level. Uh, and of course, it was not so heat, uh, hot there. So, um, most of the athletes were there for six weeks. Some were there for nine weeks. Uh, and then we go into the, the altitude block before the first big race, uh, Yokohama. Uh, we have the whole year round planned that we will have an intense tra- a racing block uh, of the four weeks of racing, starting from Yokohama, ending in uh, Leeds. Um, we discussed it. Was it too much? Uh, was it too much traveling or between races? But we actually found out that it has been so little racing the last year that all race experience would be good for athletes yeah in the end it turned out that not everyone did everything but uh, in the end but christian did uh, all, all four races uh, five including the mixed relay uh, qualification um 
and 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 we were quite certain that based on the training base and from the we had in the winter it would be no problem to have uh, four weeks back to back of uh, of racing uh, because we also knew that when Dan was finished we would have really good training block leading up to Olympics again and if you also see that in a bigger perspective that the challenging uh, with the racing block was actually that you have two Olympic distance uh, six days apart and um, uh, you need to cross eight uh, time zones uh, from uh, Japan to, to Lisbon uh, within short time so that was the big challenge after the Lisbon races, we actually went straight to Italy to Asociena race. And there we actually had the time to be there for, we were there 10 days. Um, and we did like, in a simple way, 10 days training camp with one sprint race. Mm. If you put it into that perspective, we also get a really good possibility to, to do some good training there. And then we, of course, had the Leeds race after that. But um, if you say, uh, look at Christian's result, um, he started out strong uh, um, with the, the, the victory in, in, in Yokohama. Uh, in Lisbon, he was more tired and he didn't have the, quite the same legs that he had in Yokohama. That was not surprisingly because of the long traveling and the time zone difference. Uh, but he was still the athlete who maybe did best in, in the two races overall in total. Some of the big players in the Lisbon race didn't race in Yokohama and vice versa. Uh, but then afterwards, when he went to to Italy, he, he got a. a he was not sick, but uh, he was having kind of a little bit of infection, so he was not one hundred percent. It was he could train and he raced, but he didn't have the the last um, finishing touch. So he was actually a little bit uh, tired on the run and didn't have this leg speed to have the fantastic race and but that was better when he going into the leads um, and in leads in many ways he had a quite okay race okay race but uh, still he had a little bit trouble with the uh, on the run that he wasn't so fresh that he normally was but but we were not specific uh, stressed about it because we knew why um, and uh, he was still able to get into good training and we, we knew his overall fitness was really good. So uh, from outside, it could look like that he peaked too early and he then get more, more and more tired and it will be difficult for him to get into the real fitness for Olympics. But uh, for us, we knew how it was and we, we saw all the data and um, so we, we were not concerned at all at all and uh, as i said that for us when we started the season to have uh, these four weeks of racing back to back was a good part of the plan but i see that most athletes maybe think it was too much because in the end it's still three olympic distance races in four weeks and not everyone can do that but christian is one of the one who can do that with Quite success. And okay, Leeds was not the perfect race, but he was six overall. And he hadn't raced or maybe had been top 10. He wouldn't have won the grand final, uh, the worst, worst series, series in total. So, so, of course, all races matter. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, and of course you see in the end he ended up with the three win in the World Series and won six positions. So that was good enough for the win. Yeah. Um, when when you plan this racing block, what are the main objectives of it? Is it that the racing gets athletes used to the really specific things around racing, like well transitions, the race dynamics, and also just the mental aspect of racing, or do you also consider it as just physiologically and physically a good, different type of training that you can't really replicate other than by actually racing is it more race specific or is it equally physical and physiological uh, i think it's both and um, it's it's a aspect of everything uh, okay if you want to you can replicate most of the things in training what you do in races but what you don't can replicate is the how the uh, what you said the, the race scenarios um, uh, how, the, how the way the, f- the field is working on the bike on the swim and all these kind of things that that is a dynamic things that is changing from time to time and you more you race you more you learn how each competitors are racing in that situation and um, and that is a part of it that's really important uh, we also think that. Um, Uh, Yokohama race uh, mainly with the quite technical. Uh, it's not very technical, but you have a lot of the, the corners and 90, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, where where you it's really race specific, and that is something is really tr- uh, challenging to to replicate in in training. Even I maybe tell it later, but we did that before uh, in the in the pre camp leading up to. The Olympic race, but so, so you need both. Um, as I said, that many times they said, "Okay, we can just train and prepare for the races with training." But we also you need to know that last year it was little training overall. So many of the athletes just to, did two, three races, and normally they will be do maybe at least ten in in one season. So just to to have the feeling of doing a race again and. When Christian won in in Yokohama, the last time he raced Olympic distance at that level was in, in the grand final in in Lausanne in um, in 2019. So of course it's, it's a long time. This is one and a half years. Mm. So, so, so for us, it was really important to also have the races because if you don't have that, you don't have the feeling of how are am I compared to the competitors? Because when we're racing in Yokohama. As I said, it was one and a half year since anyone at the highest level in the world did an Olympic race together. So a lot of things can happen in that period. Some new athletes will develop, some will maybe not develop, and and, and you need to do there and be there to to learn how the athletes are racing in 2021. Yeah, yeah. And then after that Leeds race in uh, in June, uh, you went back into a big block of training. Can you talk a little bit more about what you did between Leeds and uh, the uh, the races in the Olympics? Yeah, uh, of course that was the, the main block of preparation for the Olympics. So straight we went straight from Leeds to Barcelona. We actually spent three days there at. Uh, Sea level to we did a lot of testing at the velodrome. Then we did some of the the heat testing. We did some more testing about racing suit. Uh, some of the things compared to aerodynamic on the 
uh, triathlon bars and stuff like that. So, so we did that and finalized everything, all the data we needed. And then we went to Fongomeu uh, in the French Pyrenees. And, and we were there almost five weeks. It was four and a half weeks. Um, and then we went over to Japan just exactly two weeks uh, before the Olympic race for the men's. And um, we spent the first no- uh, the nine days at the pre-camp. Uh, there uh, at the heat in Miyazaki and then we went to the Olympic Village. That was in general the overall training block and that was also a good block with no distraction and no, no stress and just a lot of good training. Yeah. Was it any different than your normal training that you do at other training camps or was it pretty much similar to what you usually do? Um Actually, it is quite similar. It's uh, quite exactly what we did in 2019 before we did the test event in uh, Tokyo. Um, we also spent the summer in 2020 in Formule and we did more, much of the same thing. In, in general, I would say that uh, we are we strongly believe in the way we train and how we should develop ourselves as an athlete and it's not that we are trying to do something new or find some new methods or new ideas so it's quite kind of conservative training uh, on camps what we know that works and I think one of the mistakes a lot of athletes are doing leading up to the Olympics is that you want to do something more uh, is very often when I listen to athletes and when they talk about their training, they try to do it a little bit more and it's more more race-specific, more higher-intensity stuff. And and that is what I would say that some of the common mistakes, that they want to do the little bit extra because it's the biggest race in a four-year cyclist. And when it comes to race, many of the athletes are actually not in the best fitness or in their life because they have not done the training that should have done. And for us, it's more like, okay, we know what works. You still need a lot of volume. You still need to work on your aerobic pace. You still need to work on a threshold. And the race-specific training is, in general, very little compared to the overall basic principles of training. Um, and we also know that for is at altitude is not very high, it's 1800 meters. So you, but you still need to pay a little bit attention to the intensity control, how hard you go on, on the training. It's, uh, uh, it's not like we are going down and running a lot of thousands in low 240s and, uh, say that, oh, we are in fitness of our life. We are running so fast. It's more like you are racing at the intensity and pace you know that you need to be a top contender in the Olympics. And no one is running 240Ks uh, 10 in a row in the Olympics. So it's not like... And, and so, so for us, it's like, it's, it's the basic stuff. But of course, um, we probably want to talk about it a little bit later. Um, and that is also the time where we start doing heat preparation because we, we do heat preparation before... We, we we travel over to to Japan, so we are a little bit prepared for heat when we come there. Yeah, but in general, it's it's not an any big secret or 
any special things we do. It's just the basic process, believe in it and do it well. That's the yep. thing. And, and uh, just to summarize it, in many ways, we, we probably train 5% less this year than we did last year, for instance. Hmm. Then we are sure. It's not like we're doing the little bit extra. We yep. just take it down a little bit. Then we are a little, little bit more fresh for most of the training session. And number of training sessions you can do with the intensity and the quality that you need it is a little bit better and a little bit higher. Hmm. And for listeners that haven't heard your previous interviews, I just want to say that uh, we talked uh, in a lot about just your normal training process in those two interviews. So, so you can just uh, go and look them up and uh, get more details around that. Uh, one question about the altitude. So you went to Fontremeu. Uh, you also do a lot of altitude camps in Sierra Nevada. Uh, is there a reason that you uh, chose Fontremeu for that pre-Olympic camp? Or when do you prefer one or the other? Oh, uh, I would say that it, in general, we normally play, plan our year around that we go to high altitude in Sierra Nevada in the spring. So this year, um, most of April, uh, we were in Sierra Nevada. That is 2,300 meters above sea level. So there, the stress for the body is higher than in Formula Meur, which is 1,800. And, and then in the summertime, we went to Formula So we have actually been in Formula every year since 2014. So it's a place we know. Uh, we know the roads, we know the pools. Um, we have really nice chalets we are staying at. And uh, some of the chalets we have been staying in the last five, six years. So it's almost like going back home. So it's very safe. Um, and, and then normally in the normal year, uh, we in October, November, we will go to Sierra Nevada again. It's a little bit mm-hmm. higher, but higher altitude is really good to work on develop the aerobic fitness and rise your uh, threshold. A little bit lower, like Fontremeur, especially when you are used to that altitude, uh, means that you can do more race-specific training. So in summertime, we find that easier and better. And uh, also, if you take a normal year, uh, where we have a lot of Europe races in uh, June, July, August. Um, Formule has been our home base for, let's say, up to two months in the summertime. And then you just travel to the races and come back again. And um, that is one of the few places at altitude you can do that. I know that some people going to San Moritz or stuff like that. But uh, but for us, Formule is perfect. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, we'll definitely come back to the heat preparation that you mentioned there. But uh, before that, just generally about the taper period. So, well, let's let's call it the the two weeks that you were in Japan leading up to to the race. Uh, can you talk more specifics around how you plan the tapering uh, period? Yeah, uh, I I can do that. Um, in many ways, I would say okay. Yes, we have a tapering period. Yes, we prepare for the races but i would say that in, in general to perform at the races all year round training you do that is the big factor and, and on the, the when you start to do the tapering period it's still a uh, balance between the basic training and the more race specific training so we were lucky that we were able to go to miyasaki uh, we were there together with the uh, 
uh, Japanese uh, national males team for Olympics. So we have someone who we, we can train together with. Uh, almost at the same place, so actually it was the, the Great Britain's team. So we jump into bo- both Alex G and Johnny Brownlee uh, almost on a daily basis, but uh, we never trained together, but we were in the same place. Uh, but, but in general, it's a good place for training. Uh, you have the heat that you wanted to uh, work, uh, train in the heat, uh, prepare the last thing for the Olympics. Uh, in the end, we had a few days with really bad weather, uh, with a lot of rain, thunderstorm. So we actually did a little bit more of the training indoor to, to actually get the heat that we, heat that we wanted. But, but in general, w- when we have that period, what is it, it's about is you do more race-specific training, of course. So um, I will not go into the details on every session, but uh, we had maybe yeah, three or four open water sessions uh, with the Japanese team. There were three men and we were four athletes um, and we were racing together, small loops. Uh, sometimes we also work on the transitions there. We got a le- really good help of the Japanese uh, uh, local uh, government to set up racks uh, for for bikes uh, transition and stuff like that. So 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 that is something we practice. We practice. We started together. Uh, we started to to race simulated and of course at the race intensity. Place yourself in the field. The Japanese athletes have um, at least two really good swimmers who's normal at the fr- front uh, group uh, swimmers. So that helps us a lot. Um, on top of that, uh, we had the, the race-specific training uh, we do for uh, ru- uh, bike run. is more kind of normal brick session. And again, we were really lucky with help from the local government that uh, they, they put up, uh, uh, we designed a really technical loop on the bike. Maybe it was 1.5K with a lot of corners and acceleration points we need to break accelerate turns and work on the turns in both directions. And, and um, they close the road so you can not worry about the traffic. They had guards there. They have, we have cones. We have everything. Um, and then we did, of course, the bike and run uh, bricks, uh, a lot of that. And that is, it's not that it's a game changer, but that was some of the big sessions that made a difference. And, things you don't do in the all year round normally. That was very, really race-specific and also at the race-specific intensity. Mm. So, do you think that was quite quite unique to, to what you and the Japanese managed to do or do you think many of the other groups and federations managed to set up that sort of really specific race course to practice on? Um, I know that most team try to do it, uh, but I think it was quite different compared to where you were allowed to train because some national teams had really difficulty even having a pre-camp in Japan because it was mostly closed down. And some of the teams who had the pre-camp in Japan needed to do most of the training indoor um, or at a very close circuit. So I think the possibilities for for some of the team was a little bit different. So, so, so we were, I would say we were lucky. Uh, I know that the Great Britain team had the same possibility that they, they did 
more uh, they don't do exactly the same training but the, they have the same possibilities to do the same uh, so um, yeah but for us it was an, an advantage uh, but in general I would say that that's a kind of training I think that all teams want to do before an important race yeah what about the volume in in that period? Uh, did you did it go down uh, a bit or uh, a lot or not so much at all compared to your normal training volume? Uh, uh, it, it went down a little bit. Uh, I'm just looking at the data now, um, and it, it got down a little bit. Um, uh, how much? Maybe the first week, maybe fifteen percent. But then actually most of the volume that goes down is that you spend one and a half day of traveling. Mm. So, so it's, it's wrong to say that we say that traveling is resting days, but that's the time where you don't uh, clock the hours in training. So mm. you lose the volume there. And of course, after long traveling, you need to take it a little bit easier the first days before you can do some good session so, so so i would say that um, the the first week um maybe going down 15 percent from what we did the the last whole week uh, at altitude uh, and then the, the next week we'd go down a little bit more but it, it not so much or at least at this level now it's like if they go down too much they get lazy and sluggish they don't feel so fresh so we still need to do some of the volume but of course you you don't do 90 minutes run you don't do three four hours bikes and six k's in the pool so it's very specific in what you need to do because that is not the time where you you, you should if you come to a tapering period and think you need aerobic fitness then you are in trouble because then you are started too late so yeah. it's not the time to have in oh i need the last three hour bike ride because i am I don't have the fitness I wanted to be on the bike. It's too late to start that. You need to know that you have done the right work work before you come to tapering period. But but uh, but as I said, to conclude, it's a very specific uh, race intensity, and you need to keep up a decent volume. So for us, it's it's not very much, but let's say that between twenty twenty five hours a week. Um, when a lot of resting uh, and also high intensity race specific workouts that is still a quite high volume yeah yeah and uh, now let's discuss the the heat preparation uh, which uh, would be really interesting to hear so yeah can you just give give a general summary and this this is not necessarily specific to the taper but uh, uh, anything you can tell about how you approached that from uh, all the way from the first heat camp that you had in thailand um, yes, uh, I, I of course will do some some general principles. Uh, we also saw some of the things that we think maybe that is a I would not say secret, but some of the things that we discovered with our athletes. Um, uh, but uh, in general, one of the things that we have done a lot since we started in 2018 is to have a lot of measure on the core temperature during workouts and also on race specific workouts. So. But every athlete have learned how the body react to heat and heat stress, and and based on that you get experience on how you can control that. Of course, you can have 
do some little bit cooling uh, on the sessions, uh, but it's mostly uh, how you control the intensity in in some of the key sessions to keep the core temperature at the, at the control level. And, and, and we saw some big difference compared, uh, let's say that on the bike, it's quite easy to control the core temperature, but if you're still pushing too hard, it, it will rise. On the run, it's just rise and goes sky rocket high. And, and so, so there you need to know how to react on that. Uh, how can you try to tolerate the high heat stress or high core temperature your body will get or how, how much you do need to cool it down and, uh, and with what kind of equipment should you use as a cooling uh, stuff. Uh, so, so, so that is some of the things that we, 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 we looked into and it's a little bit different from Atlas to Atlas. Uh, but, um, but we were very focused on learning the Atlas or the, the Atlas body to how to react to, to the heat, to get used to it and also get used to, to race and train hard in, in, in the heat. So for instance, when you're having race specific workouts, it's, 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 you need to have it on the day, uh, part of the days when you actually have the heat exposure. So, yep. so even the race was in the morning. It, it was not like that. Oh, we then we take all the sessions early in the morning. No, we were taking some of the sessions at the time of the day when the heat was the highest possible. Uh, and um, but 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 that is it's not any big secret that I think everyone tried to do that. One other thing I think we did indifferently that. Uh, be collecting a lot of data because we were investing quite a lot in kind of the core body uh, temperature pills. Uh, we also had some, um, uh, uh, I can't remember, uh, some sensor we had on, on the body for, to, to measure st- uh, stress, uh, heat stress, uh, heat flux. And, and based on that, too, we get a really good data and the athletes get a really good data on how that should relate to the heat and what this, how much heat can they tolerate and when do they need to slow down. So when you, the last year especially, because of the evolution of this kind of equipment has increased a lot during the year. So in the beginning, the first time you have a pill, uh, you need to take it up in your, your back and then you need to download the data afterwards. But the, the last year we also have, uh, instance feedback on core body temperature. So actually when you train and you train at a certain intensity at that uh, temperature, you you will know you can have it for race day. You actually saw how the core, bed, core body temperature was increasing or decreasing on, on live. The, and, and that is um, one of the things that uh, we, we paid a lot of attention to. But in the end, it, it was not any big secret. It's not uh, using tools that the other competitors didn't have. That uh, everything was available on, on the market, so we were we were just buying that on the market, as yep. everyone else could do. But we maybe it was a little bit more systematic in how we used the data. So, so with the uh, the device that you're talking about, I, I assume it's the one called Core, uh, which yeah, uh, yeah measures yeah, it is Core. I, I can't remember the name, um, and, and that is uh, measuring heat flux. And when you're using that, also with a pill, 
uh, like the e-body pill, uh, and you can look at the, and compare the data. You can actually see how the core sensor is actually how that correlates to the uh, accurate core body temperature measured inside your body. Hmm. And, and then and you get a correlation. Yeah. And is that a good correlation? And also, is it a correlation or is it like absolutely sort of, is it accurate as well as uh, precise? Uh, it's both accurate and precise. Uh, the, the last version we were using was, was really good, actually. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really good to hear. And uh, yeah, so... Um, so, so then, uh, when when using that sort of tool um, in training, what would be a couple of example use cases for it? Would you, for example, in some sessions where you specifically try to, would you try to drive up uh, the core temperature and then stay at a certain temperature for a certain time when you wanted to have heat stress, and or would you, in other cases, maybe try to find uh, find, okay, at what pace can I sustain myself without going to a critical level? Uh, can you just give a couple of examples of how you were using that data? Yeah, um, we were actually using, uh, in, in the both example you are using, uh, some of this, this training you do in the heat is actually to see how much can you raise the core body the temperature and not uh, fall apart or uh, not uh, put your body into a stress that is actually dangerous. So, so, so that is one kind of things that you are stressing um, that we especially doing indoor in a heat chamber. Uh, and, and the other part is, is try to find the right intensity you can stay at to, to keep the core body temperature at the level that you can tolerate the whole race. Uh, so, so, so it's we we're using in both ways, and uh, we also see that uh, try to see the correlation between the bike and the run. Um, we we saw that the effort you put on on the bike can uh, quite affect how you core how fast your core body temperature is rising uh, d- during uh, the run, uh, and if it's ri- rising too much, too high, the only way you can tolerate that normally is that you slow down the pace and in the end if you want to perform at the highest level like in the olympics that is something you don't want to do so it's try to find the, the right balance both on the bike and run hmm. a little bit general there but yeah yeah no that, that makes sense and uh, wh- when it comes to the, the heat stress training that you did or the heat stress uh, period that you did how much of it would you say or just in general terms was most of it done uh, while training and uh, partially in a heat chamber or just in a room with a, with a thermostat and uh, partially outdoors in hot climates like in Japan? Did you do some that was just like saunas or hot baths or something? Or was it all training related? Uh, if it's more or less uh, training related, uh, that means that we were even in a heat chamber or if we didn't have a heat chamber, we were just make one ourselves. Uh, so do, let's say that in uh, normal uh, last year, the athletes have uh, training blocks of heat training back home, uh, staying in the bathroom, uh, put on the heater at the maximum temperature. And uh, if that's not hot enough, you put in on extra clothes. Uh, uh, when we're on training camp, um, 
in Voronoi, we were able to use a, a heat chamber, but it uh, and also in Miyazaki, but it need to be manu- manually heated. Um, so um, yeah, so it's not a, a heat chamber in the way that, for instance, in Norway we have built a heat chamber that we are supposed to use as a preparation for the Olympics, uh, and that was a big investment for the. Um, Norwegian Olympic Committee, but uh, but we actually didn't use it. I think we were in there one or twice for testing, but the rest of the time we did the similar things when we are training camp. Mm. And you can do a lot with um, extra clothes and heat up the room you are staying at. But, but one big thing is that uh, we try not to have too much heat stress on the things you do except training, because that is something that is really stressing the body, uh, especially in terms of recovery. So if you try to be the genius that you take off the air condition at the hotels to have a highest possible temperature, uh, so you are used to the heat, you probably sleep, uh, sleep quality will be bad, your recovery will get worse. And, and then... To, you don't win on it. It's in total you actually lose on it. And we also think in gen, general terms that if you are staying too long and doing too much heat training, that also will affect your training. Uh, so, so we try to find the balance between all that. Uh, and then we have uh, one ex- expert that uh, is doing more research on now. Uh, that is how altitude training and also heat training in terms of uh, production of blood plasma uh, interact with each other. And, and that is something that um, it's getting more research on now. Uh, actually, some of the more serious research on that topic is done in Norway. Uh, so we also been uh, working a little bit uh, with, with these scientists in Norway based on that. Um, uh, because we also want to see the heat training not just as a heat preparation for the Olympics and racing in hot condition, but also as a way to develop the the, uh, the blood plasma for athletes. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, one more question on the heat adaptation is: so, how how did you structure it? So you had certain periods when you were on like training camps in hot conditions, like in Thailand or in Japan, leading up to the games. Between that and before the games, uh, were you always trying to maintain? So do a little bit of like every week, do a couple of sessions to maintain when you were not on, in a hot place, but still maintain that all the time? Or would you leave it completely and then have some periods when you worked more on it? And specifically leading up to the Olympics, how often would you do a heat session? Uh, we have done it a little bit differently. Uh, we have tried certain different Things about that. Uh, this year, we actually did most of the heat training at a certain time when we started, when we were at the altitude in Fondremeur, and we found out how many weeks we needed to get, get the maximum blood plasma response. And also, so this year we did it mostly at, uh, as I said, uh, the last, let's say, two, two and a half weeks. Um, uh, at the altitude camp and of course in the pre-camp in Miyazaki but uh, earlier years we've also been doing that uh, last year when we were not able to travel so much 
and we were not able to go to altitude camp. We also had uh, blocks of heat training leading up to some of the few races we did to try to have a blood uh, plasma response because we you, you couldn't get uh, the, the training response for training at altitude. So we are just working a little bit of the blood plasma. So it's been a little bit different. But this year, since we can could travel, we can do the heat uh, and altitude training and everything, we thought a new based on the experience we had, that uh, we didn't need it to do it all year round. So we we started seriously when we were in uh, in Formula. Yeah, and and then how often are we talking about that you would do? Was it almost every day or every other day? Oh, yeah, yeah, almost every day. Uh, not so long, but uh, one to two hours, let's say six days a week. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, then uh, a question about the race. Uh, so. The swim is, of course, always really critical, and that has been something that for well, for all of the Norwegian athletes uh, has been just like a critical part. Like in some races in the past, especially when the swim hasn't been good, like you have just had too much ground to make up for it to be possible to win. So, so I imagine that you put a lot of effort and thought into how to minimize the gap out of the water and be in a good position to to reach the front pack or be close enough anyway to be within striking distance of it. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you approached the swim in terms of tactics and training? Oh, oh yeah. Um, of, uh, you know that and you pointed out that uh, the swimming has not been the strongest point for the Norwegians. And um, sometimes it could be challenging for us to get up to, to, to the front group. Uh, um, but I would say that the, the last year we are quite, especially Christian and also Casper is quite close to the front between 20 to 30 seconds. But but um, uh, we see that the way, especially Christian is made, he he's not um, a f- he's not a fast swimmer. He's a really a s- slow starter. There's no way that he can have the start speed that he's able to follow the leaders uh, the first 200 meters on the swim. So for him, it's more like to try to minimize distance um, up to them. So so his uh, Arabic capacity is really good, and he's a really good fighter uh, on the swim too. And he's more or less, if he is 20 seconds out of the water after the, the first man, that 20 seconds, he's losing the first two to 300 meters. And the rest of the time, he's actually swimming at the same pace. So, of mm-hmm. course, you try to make the, the start a little bit faster and work specific on that. And then we also try to work more specific on the race intensity, that his pace at the, the pace he can keep for, at the distance is better and higher than it was before. So uh, we, we restructured the training quite a lot on the swimming in the last year. Um, uh, one thing is you do more race-specific session. Um, We've we also been very into that, that we do what you need to do and don't do too much else. So when someone is swimming, our program is just very straight to the point of what you should develop at this session. Should be LT1, should it be a sprint session, should it be a L-threshold session, and threshold LT2, or we have to max session, or maybe a, a race pace. So it's just warm up. We have a we 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 did a standardized warm up based on 
what kind of session you are going to do. Of course, if you don't want to do a VO2 max session, you have a little bit longer and different warm-up uh, uh, time compared to if you want to do a, a aerobic threshold L1 session because then you you don't actually don't need any warm up at all. You just can almost go straight into it. So, so, so that was some of the thing we did standard and more standardized the program uh, to what we were going to to work on, and we had a really clear plan on on that. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's not any big secret, but the, it's a it's a mix of develop the speed, uh, establish a higher aerobic threshold, so. You are able to keep a higher pace um, and work on the race-specific sessions. So, so one of the things we do, and it's not secret, it's not any specific that we also standardize some of the the build-up to the races. How how kind of race-specific session? How should that be? Uh, how should the training load be on each? And try to find a balance there. So, in, in many ways, I think that. Um, we manage that quite well, but um, in swimming we see that um, the, the athletes have a little bit different body types and they are re- react a little bit different to, to different kind of training. So some of the coaching aspect of this, of course, of all training is the individualization to 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 see that the, all or four athletes in the Olympics need a little bit different stimuli on the swim. And try to find the optimum balance on that one. That is something we have been spending a lot of time on, and uh, try and think we have developed that a little bit more than we have the previous year. Yeah. Can Can you tell us more about that? How the different body types might affect how you react to, to swimming? Like in what way specifically? Um, okay. Um, if you are very general, we say that. Uh, uh, the triathletes normally have a little bit more of uh, type 2 or faster muscle fiber in the upper body than the lower body. So in many ways, I need to balance that in training. Uh, but we see that uh, some of our athletes are naturally quite fast and have uh, have no problem to, to have a good high speed. But they have, um, uh, for instance, we can see that the Vela Max uh, is very high. And uh, we see that if that is too high on the athletes because they have maybe too much type 2 fibers, they have do, done too much high-intensity work, um, we, we need to try to train that down a little bit. Of course, in swimming, you, you need a little bit higher Vela Max than in running, for instance. But if it's too high, you, you, you start using a lot of glycogen that could... Uh, now it could it will punish you quite hardly at the end of the run. Mm, um, yeah. So if you see it in a bigger perspective, you, you, you need to individualize their swim training so everyone is able to finish the last three k of the running at the maximum pace. And if you are working too much on the aerobic stuff, uh, didn't pay attention to the Vela Max, you will have athletes who are really struggling and in the end of the races. And and that is some of the key things that is very, I would say, not so common to think so much that how you create swimming program actually can affect how you are able to finish the last part of the race. And, and that is a little bit new kind of perspective. But on the other hand, if you 
train too much and taking down the Velomax too much, uh, then you get too slow and you don't have any chance at all at the start of the race. Uh, at all the boys where you have all the acceleration because you it's crowded, you stop up and then you need to accelerate again. So, so that is, uh, of course, a balance you need to find. And that balance is different uh, when you have short course race athletes compared to the longer course athletes. Hmm. That is uh, easier. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. Ed, do you also find that uh, if triathletes tend to have a bit higher proportion of type 2 fibers in the upper body that with swimming you might have to be more careful just for the sake of recovery from session to session that if you do too much intense work type 2 fibers need longer to recover is that something that you uh, consider uh, y- yes uh, of course uh, we take a look at that and and, and consider that and um, uh, so it's right uh, that is one of the part of individualization that we are um, pay attention to, especially on the, on the recovery base. But in general, I would say that uh, uh, say that swimming is still the disciplines that needs less intensity. No, no, uh, uh, shortest recovery time. Uh, sorry, that was. Uh, but it's a little bit different compared to the body types on the atlas. But in general, um, most atlas and triathletes can do more and more intense workers on the swim but the, it's, it's as I probably has said uh, earlier that it's not that you more intensity you harder workout you more focus on the automax you faster you swim because yeah maybe on the short term you would do but that will is not the optimized things to do if you want to have the best run of your life in a triathlon so it's always a balance yeah yeah and uh for the bike, uh, the course in the Olympics, we already talked uh, quite a bit about all the quarters and how you prepared uh, for that at your pre-camp. Was there, is that something that you prepared for a lot even before going to pre-camp with specifically accelerations and sprinting out of corners? Or is that something you think you you really built up in those last two weeks and that is something that you can build up in a short time and you didn't need a lot of preparation other than that? Uh, uh, it's um, two aspects. In general, I would say that you don't need so long time to build up that, to tolerate that. Uh, And we are working much more on the higher aerobic base you have, you better you will tolerate all this kind of acceleration. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's about beginning in in the right way and not uh, on the opposite way. So that is the foundation. And of course, we know that during the year, uh, we have many of the easy session on the bike, long sessions. We, we do a little bit of short uh, sprinting acceleration just to to keep up the momentum and get used to it. Um, but the race specific workers you need to prepare for a race is not so much actually. Hmm. Um, the way we did it, uh, the race specific workers we did um, Miyazaki. We did three or four of that. That was almost enough, but but we did a few of them before we at altitude. But that is more or less like you're working, at, let's say, at altitude intensity, and then you put in some acceleration between that effort. So it's not doing the same all the time. Yeah. Uh, but of course, um, the thing that many triathletes haven't developed so much is, is the technical skills. 
you need to be technically good enough because if you don't have the technical skills to work in, on the technical course, you will always break too early or too late and you're taking the corners, not the optimized space. So you're using more energy on that. So the technical aspect of it, that needs to be trained. Mm. When you have that thing that you you don't losing time to the others in every technical part of the course, then you don't need to do so much of it. But before you have that, it's uh, you need to you you need to work and develop the technical skills because that is one of the things that's a big difference between the best technical athletes and not and. Uh, and I think on the male side, it's getting quite well. A lot of the athletes are technical quite well. Um, the woman's side is much bigger difference. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's what it looks like in, in the races for sure. Um, and and I guess that as a sort of general advice for, for listeners, like every time you're, you're out on your bike, for example, when you get to a corner, try to just not lazy your way through the corner but actually approach it with uh, like okay this is a good opportunity to practice how, how the corner quickly and uh, with breaking at the right uh, with the right timing and, and so on so so you don't have to necessarily do a specific training for that but you can you of course that helps as well but but a lot of it can be developed through your regular training yeah i totally agree on that and um uh in every training session, you, you, you should pay attention to that. It's very easy to do. And if you also are training together in a group, just try to stay behind the best technical guy and see how they attack the corners. Mm. You, you will learn a lot of that. Just follow the wheels. Don't yep. lose it. Yep. Yeah. Um, then as a general question about the Olympics and the athletes that were successful uh, do, do you think there are any common denominators uh, that that was pretty general across all athletes that had the race they wanted or had a successful race? Or, or do you think it really was quite different? Because in some ways, I think, like, for example, with, we talked about racing and somebody like Flora, who won the women's race, didn't race that much. And uh, Hayden Wild, who took the bronze, didn't race that much. So, so some things were clearly different, even though athletes were both successful. But were there some things you think that were common denominators? Oh, 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 oh I'm not sure what to say. The, uh, you had mentioned some of the athletes who didn't race too much, but... Uh, uh, you also know that Gomez didn't race too much. Mola, we didn't see on so much on the racing uh, scene uh, before the Olympics. Um, I think you have both things. Uh, we know that uh, Hayden Weil had trouble getting out of the country, so he need to limit his uh, traveling and also racing. Uh, but but uh, in, I would say that in the end. The athletes who take the medals was, of course, no big surprise. It was what you could expect it, but it were some athletes you thought should be up there in the mix fighting for a podium who wasn't there. Hmm. So, and um, it was some athletes, some countries that actually that didn't succeed. Um, I, I've not mentioned any specific names. Uh, I think they're are really rare, uh, know it themselves. But uh, it, th that was a little bit different 
in what we expected. We thought that some of the other countries and athletes should be higher up there. And, and I was I will not say that that didn't prepare well enough, but I think you come back to the thing, I think I mentioned it earlier, that some athletes, they just wanted to do it a little bit extra because it's an Olympic. Yeah. And and then they, because there's been a little bit period of racing for all athletes, that they start stop trusting in themselves, that stop, that don't trust in the process, and then just want to do the little bit extra. And I think that is one general comment. I would say that for athletes who didn't succeed as they hoped to do, they probably want to do a little, the little bit extra. Mm. Yeah, that, that is a good answer. I, I think there's probably a lot of truth in that. And uh, what when we return to your team, to the Norwegians, can you list one to three things that you think you did, you all did really well in preparing for and at the Games, things that worked really well and that you are pleased with, and then one to three things that you think you can improve for the next Games? Oh, <laughs> Oh, um, I think it's very difficult to, to say it exactly. But, um, okay, we know that uh, the heat preparation was really good. Uh, no one had problems uh, with the heat. It was actually not so hot there. So that was a good one. Um, we think the training balance uh, was really good. Uh, we see that... A few exceptions. We have actually no injury, no uh, interruption in our daily training. The continuous training process uh, the last year, and especially in January, have been really fantastic. Uh, that is two things that's really, really is important. Um, and I also think that our training planning um, and how we how we build up the training, how we work on the Uh, on the daily basis, on the walk in the altitude camps has been really good. So this is mainly the three factors that has been really good. Um, but it's also always some details that you're not 100%. Of course, in the end, it's, as I said, that we have no injuries. Uh, we, we maybe trade a little bit less than we normally do. So most were fresh uh, uh, for the sessions. But But it's still like, I think that, Some of the things that we need to still be better to balance is try to be better at the individualization. Uh, we saw that um, in the training camp leading up to the Olympics, uh, both Gustav Kasper, Christian responded a little bit different to, to training. And um, uh, we saw that Gustav was not in the shape that the, we wanted him to be in the early part of the attitude camp. And, It's, it's some of the small details uh, and it's more or less based on individualization, have, uh, have enough time to be with athletes, talk to athletes, uh, because what was best, uh, special this year is, uh, is, or is always has been there. We have really, really focused on the Olympics and that was the main goal, but that put a lot of attention from the coaches to what to do, to do everything right. And when you try to optimize everything for every athlete, you actually see that sometimes you are short of time. And we have just, yeah, been me and 
uh, or scientists, Olaf Alexanders, who has been with the athletes all the time on, on camps. And we see that we should have been more. Uh, we didn't have the time to do it 110% in every aspect of it. Um, and uh, yeah, that is the main learning. And that is the part that we always want to, to improve. Hmm. And uh, now going forward, what are your next big goals? And uh, is that already Paris or, or do you have some things before that you're really looking forward to as big things on the horizon? Uh, from the, the national team perspective, it's building up to Paris. It's building up a strong women's team. So we are will be in the mix for the mixed relay. Uh, that is really the, the, the big goal for me as a sport director and uh, the coach that uh, we want to be a factor in mixed relay we want to have women who's fighting for, for the podium in Olympics we are very sure about the boys uh, of course we need to still work on developing them so so that is what me as a sport director from the Norwegian Federation say that this is our main goal but we know that The next year on the rest of this season is a part of the season where some of the athletes, especially the, the men's are, they are more like free to do whatever they want. So, so they are targeting different goals and um, we support them in that and we want to help them to achieve their goals on that one. Um, it's like in two weeks time, we have the 73 world championship and uh, Not to be arrogant, but uh, I more or less expect uh, both Christian and Gustav to be on the podium. Uh, and we know that they will do the Ironman Hawaii. They will mostly do an, another Ironman for preparation uh, leading up to that. Uh, we know that uh, Christian also working for the Sub-7 project. So, so there's a lot of things going on for, for them as an athletes. And we want to help them to achieve their goals. But uh, as a team it's really important that we start focusing on the Paris games. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything specific you're doing to to make that, get that mixed relay team more competitive, to get more girls into the sport or work with the ones that you have? Uh, are there any things that you can do there specifically? Uh, uh, the, uh, right now it's more more to fight, uh, to work with the women we have. We don't have so many Uh So that is one of the things within Norwegian's teams that we don't have so many to choose from. So we have actually three girls right now. Uh, we have uh, some others coming up, but they will come. Uh, it will be a little bit short time for them to develop uh, to, to Paris, uh, especially since they also need to to have an uh, individual Olympic ranking and the Olympic qualification period start next year. So, so we are short of time on that. So what we are good at is to work on the athletes we have and try to get the best out of them. Uh, it's not that in many countries that you, if you don't see the development on that, we just find someone else, keep them out and find someone else because in this case, we don't have any other than the three to choose from. So we need to work on them. They want to, we, we want to work on them in a way that we get out their potential, of course. And we must create the training environment that they really enjoy doing the sport. So they will be in the sport uh, until the, the, the Paris Olympics, at least. Right now, it's not a problem, but it 
in, at the high performance sport is is a lot of uh, uh, normal days and uh, gray days and uh, days that everything is not working so well. So you, you need to have a team and a group environment that people are staying in through the tough times when everything is not so easy. Uh, it's, it's no problem to have Christian to be motivated after he won the Olympic gold medal, but it will be days the next year that will be quite tough for him and for the woman and everyone. So, but the better environment you have, uh, more better attention you pay to them, you the more you work with them, it's a higher chance that you will have them to stay in the sport for for a long time. And that is one of my main goals. I know that. If you are able to keep them motivated to do the work, we are able to develop the athletes we have, including the three women, to be uh, world-class. Just mm. patient, take the time. And that, do makes the work. that makes absolute sense. And uh, uh, yeah, the triathlon and endurance sports is like, like that, that you can have periods when you're developing, but then you have periods when you're even regressing and that's it's not linear. So uh, So you have to have an environment where you can still keep motivated even when you have that period that it's not going so well on an individual level as well i imagine is is part of it because it's easy when you're training 30 hours per week and it's yeah it's it's really tough work to to give up if you feel that oh i'm never going to reach that level but but then if you but if you just stick stick with it for two more years maybe you have that a couple of breakthrough periods and and then suddenly you're among the the best in the world so so yeah i think that's that makes total sense and uh, well, you mentioned the seven point three words and Kona. So uh, we have talked a little bit about this before, but just as a maybe a general overview, uh, how do you change the training focus for uh, for those athletes that choose to do long distance races uh, now as their next uh, goals? Uh, we are going into a, a new world now. Uh, okay, uh, changing the athletes to race seventeen point three uh, is something we know they can do very fast. Uh, uh, the, the transition is very quick. It's no big difference in how we normally train. But of course, you need to work a little bit more specific on the race pace intensity, on the, especially on the bike. Um, you, of course, use the time trial bikes. Uh, it's more about keeping the even pace. Uh, okay, at the highest level we, we, in the front group, it has something for three and also an Ironman. Um, it's more cat and mouse games now than it used to be, but it's not the same as uh, an Olympic distance race. It's totally different world. So it's more like try to dial in the intensity. You need to have some long runs, but in the end, to, to, the run you need to do. Uh, all guys are running 100, 110 Ks a week. It's no big deal for them to to run half marathon. For for St. George, so so that we are not afraid of. For St. George, we of course do a little bit more uh, specific uh, work uh, on, on the hills because it's it's, it's not that flat uh, f- flat fast course. It's a little bit more hilly, so you, you work a little bit more specific on that. The the big changes in training when you're going up to Ironman because that is a different games. Uh, so we are already been in the lab. Uh, and working much more on to to try to find the right balance uh, between the longer durations uh, on the bike rides, especially on the run. Um, 
they need to know how it is to uh, to run a marathon. They haven't done it before, uh, so they will need to have some longer runs. But um, in general, I would say that I think uh, we have quite good control on that. And um, uh, our scientist, Olaf Alexander, he's uh, paying a lot of attention to that with, with athletes. The, they actually finished uh, the last day in the lab right now. Uh, Christian is doing that and Kasper the same. Uh, Gustav is actually in the US, so he's not doing the lab, but he did it before he raised the Collins Cup. So we have a lot of good data to work on. So we have quite in control of uh, what we should do. Uh, so as I said, on short term for 70.3, no big changes, uh, quite easy to adapt. Um, a little bit more specific for uh, the Armen racing, but uh, we have good ideas, we have good data, good numbers, so we are very certain that that is something we that is can manage really well and when when I will race if it if it's uh Armin Hawaii who's the first race or if it'll be one race before they will be up there and mm. they should be performing at the level that will could fight for the win. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I have no doubt. And uh, I mean, as you mentioned already, the way that you train normally is set up to as well be a really, really good way to train for for long distance racing. It's well, building that aerobic base and, and everything. So, to and the volume that you're doing is uh, as high or higher than than most uh, long distance athletes do. So, so, so yeah, I think that uh, it there's no no doubt that they will be very competitive on whatever distance it is they're doing. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Adil, this has been absolutely wonderful. Is there anything else that you have on your mind? Anything else that you you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up? Uh, I think we have uh, have a good conversations. A lot of things we've been talking through, and uh, you also mentioned it. Uh, some of the general principles about training. I think I've been uh, I know I've been talking about earlier in podcast videos. So I think uh, yeah, I think we covered most of it now, and. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you. Same to you, Adil. Uh, have a good day. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Adild. He was, of course, Adild's third appearance on that triathlon show, and he's somebody that I always love talking with, and I know that uh, most of our listeners do as well. Just looking at the download numbers of his previous episodes showed that without any doubt. I will link in the episode description and the show notes to Adil's previous appearances, as well as at the interview I did with Olav Alexander, who is uh, the sports scientist on the Norwegian team. All of those episodes would be really interesting for you to listen to if you enjoyed this one and you haven't heard them before. Now, I also want to mention the Scientific Triathlon Training Camp of 2022 that we just announced a week or so ago. Uh, the training camp will take place on Mallorca from the 27th of March to the 1st of April. And uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, this training camp will not be about just going somewhere warm and and training as much as you can and then having to rest for two weeks after because you trained way too much but uh, we will be there and help you train smart while you're away on the training camp so that you actually benefit from it long term and don't overtrain yourself over the week and uh, and then have to recover from it when you get home we will help each individual adapt the week to their goals and uh, you will get help not just with on the training perspective but also 
get feedback and advice on technical aspects like video analysis on the swim, uh, advice on your biking and so on and so forth. Even you can talk about your race strategies and we will help you with that. We basically want to just hang out with you for a week and, and help you train, but also help you learn as part of that training camp process. So go to scientificdraftland.com and check out our training camp page there. Uh, you can find it on scientificdraftland.com forward slash camp and register your interest to make sure you get a slot because we do expect this camp to sell out relatively quickly. And uh, me and all of the other scientific triathlon coaches are looking forward to seeing you on Mallorca in March to April 2022. And on this podcast, I look forward to talking to you again next Monday when I interview Chris Myers about his new book called Triathlon Training with Power. So we'll go into training with power, not just on the bike, which is familiar to most, but also on the run, which is familiar to quite a few, and on the swim, which is uh, a bit of a newer concept. But we'll talk about that in next week's episode. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyeglasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate indoor swim trainer to improve your technique, power, and stamina and increase your swim stimulus frequency even when you can't get to the pool or open water. Get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on senatesumtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.